Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad to see you all here. We are a community that values inclusivity. We reach out to people of all socioeconomic backgrounds, skin colors, religious backgrounds, political parties, and tastes in music. We say this every Sunday because we want it to be true and we're working toward it being true even though it's not quite true yet. We come from a religious heritage that teaches that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is as part of that heritage that I invite you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and to your left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please join me in saying the chalice lighting words? In the light of truth and in the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. A reading for a call to worship. Spirit of life and love, we have gathered here in search of answers, hard questions. We have come in search of understanding, in search of community. We have come together in search of hope and healing. Let this be a place, not only of searching, but of discovery. Let this be a place, not only of learning, but of wisdom. Let this be a place, not only of meeting, but of connection. And let this be a place where healing fosters giving and hopes and hope fosters service. <clears throat> this is our prayer that we may create here and for all who enter a circle of love, ever expanding, ever growing, as we seek to know the source of our being. Please join me now as we affirm our mission statement which is written, of course, in your order of service, but conveniently right up here on the wall. We at the first view you gather in community to nourish souls, transform our lives, and do justice. The Ballad of Birmingham. Mother dear, may I go downtown instead of out to play? and march the streets of Birmingham in a freedom march today? No, baby, no. You may not go, for the dogs are fierce and wild, and the clubs and hoses, guns and jails aren't good for a little child. But mother, I won't be alone. Other children will go with me and march the streets of Birmingham to make our country free. No. Baby, no, you may not go, for I fear those guns will fire, but you may go to church instead and sing in the children's choir. She has combed and brushed her night dark hair and bathed rose petal sweet and drawn white gloves on her small brown hands and white shoes on her feet. Ah, the mother smiled to know her child was in a sacred place. But that smile 
was the last smile to come upon her face. For when she heard the explosion, her eyes grew wet and wild. She raced through the streets of Birmingham, calling for her child. She clawed through bits of glass and brick, then lifted out a shoe. Oh, here's the shoe my baby wore. But baby, what are you? There's a lot I don't know about racism. And if I were to stand here and talk about what I don't know, it would be a terrible sermon. So, I'm going to talk about what I do know. I know that uh, every group on earth is racist about some other group. Here's what they say. Those people are dirty and lazy. They don't want to work. They're over-emotional, and their religion is strange. Their brains are smaller. They just can't think the way we do, so they're better at hands-on work as, as long as you tell them exactly what to do. They'll hurt children and women. That is uh, the Japanese talking about Koreans. It's the northern Italians talking about southern Italians. The people of North India talking about the people of South India. In the Sri Lanka, the Tamils hate the Sinhalese. Muslims and Hindus slaughtered each other in 1947 and since. Malaysians hate the Chinese. The Serbs hate the Croats. The Czechs hate the Slovaks. In Africa, the Hutus hate the Tutsis and slaughter each other. Right now, the Tutsis are in power, but that will change, as it has before. In Nigeria, the Hausas hate the Igbo. Sudi and Shiite Muslims war with one another in Iraq, and in Syria, there are families and clans hating each other. In Darfur, in Sudan, there are Arab-identified uh, Muslim nomads, Sudanese, slaughtering non-Arab-identifying Muslim, sedentary Sudanese. The Israelis hate the Arabs, vice versa. So, you have to wonder, um, will it always be this way? Is, is racism somehow embedded in the DNA of human beings? And what has to change? We try anti-racism training uh, in our denomination. It's with mixed effect. Um, basically, it does a little good. I, I've been with um, groups of ministers who've been through the training, and so we're um, we're sitting in a in a class on something else. I can't remember a general assembly, which is where all the Unitarians get together once a year. Um, and we're making a collage. We're coloring our feelings about something or other. And um, this one woman has this big patch of dark brown in her collage, and she said, um, this symbolizes my depression. Um, and I went to anti-racism training, so I learned not to make it black, so I made it dark brown instead. <laughs> Bless our hearts. <laughs> So to overcome racism, for me, what has to happen is I have to look at another human being's face and read their face and see by their face and their actions and their words what kind of person they are, yes? You see what kind of 
person someone is, whether they're reserved or outgoing, whether they're organized or flexible, whether they're um, a, a person who is, uh, who is hopeful or a person who has given up, you, you notice all of that. It's got nothing to do with the color of their skin, really, uh, because all of those qualities come in all different colors. And, um, and when I say it's got nothing to do with the color of their skin, I want to say I don't, I'm frustrated with people who go, oh, I've been through anti-racism training and I don't even notice the color of somebody's skin. And it's like, you know, somebody's skin is important. And like, whether they're gay or straight, it's one element of who they are. It tells you a lot about a person's experience in our culture, what color their skin is, whether they're gay or straight, whether they're Republican or Democrat. It's, it's one thing about them. See what I'm saying? Not the defining thing. So, um, so we try to overcome our individual racism by seeing people as individuals and reading their faces and their behavior and judging them that way. Now, that's just part of the problem because the other thing we have to fix, um, not today probably, but the other thing we have to fix is institutionalized racism. And that is that in, in America, in North America, what we've got is um, a whole culture with institutions that have been built largely by European Americans, largely they embody and teach and run on white values. There's a book, a, a book called Dismantling Racism um, by a man named Joseph Barnes, and he, is, uh, he talks about how everybody's prejudiced, and a lot of people say, well, I'm not racist because those other kids in the cafeteria are racist too, because you know, they say things about my group, and I say things, okay, so what Barnes says is racism, the way he wants to use the term, is prejudice plus power. So if somebody has racist feelings about um, a powerful group, it's not, it's not like they have the, the opportunity to create a whole culture that will keep that group limited. See what I'm saying? So in the United States, our banks and our doors and our um, housing has, is expressive of more white values. Now, the institutions in Japan would be racist in another way because the prevailing culture there has created um, institutions that embody those values. And in Africa, the prevailing institutions would be racist and then they have their prejudices plus the power of the people who are in power. So I'm not saying, you know, you're bad for being a white person or for hanging around with white people or for, um, what I'm saying is, we just have to, our job is to notice. Our job is to notice, and this is the, this is the point at which I want to just go to sleep. Because it's, it's hard, you know, and uncomfortable. And icky, and I and sad, 
and overwhelming. And I can ignore it if I want to. That's part of my white privilege. I don't have to deal with racism. There's other isms I have to deal with, but racism isn't one of them. Um, and that's my privilege as a white person. So I have to overcome that privilege. As Keelan sang in the song, make them hear. You have to make them hear because they don't want to hear, and it's hard, and it's sad, and you feel guilty, but you don't know what you can do about it. And all you have to do, really, is just notice if you have white privilege, if you have heterosexual privilege, if you have any number of the privileges that are dealt out in our culture, all you have to do is just notice it and use it for good. If you feel guilty about it, um, that's, I think, kind of useless because guilt makes you stupid, frankly. And you don't make your best decisions when you're making them about, out of, based on guilt. And you say dumb things. And um, I think curious is a better stance than guilt. Just stand there with curiosity and go, tell me more about this. What is this all about? Let me notice. Let me watch. Let me learn. You, um, you feel despair because you have this vision of the world the way it could be, and, um, and, you, and you don't know how to get there. And I have a suggestion about how we can get there. Now, this is not going to happen because I don't have that much power. But um, I think that what we should do uh, um, in our minds is have a, a random lottery where all of our children at ages 10 and 11 get randomly assigned to another family in Austin. Okay? It's like a fruit basket turnover. So my kids might go live in, you know, by a golf course or in a housing project, we don't know. And they might have a, a crack-addicted adult trying to help them get to school, or they might have an a, a intensely competent um, second-grade teacher trying to get them to school, in which case you can relax. Um, <laughs> but I think instantly, all the people who had been kind of anesthetized by our, uh, by our privilege would wake up and say, oh my goodness, we need to fix that neighborhood because my kids might be there next year. Mm-hmm. Or we need to have rehab for, these, uh, for people who want treatment for their drug issues. And we need to kind of even out the, uh, the economy a little bit, fix the potholes over there, and, um, and get the schools up to snuff because my kid might be going there. And, um, and people in neighborhoods that are bad might say, wow, we really need to um, get through to those people uh, who live by the golf course and, uh, and get them some education about how to you know, reach out to their family members or uh, increase their t- taste in music or get them some flavor in their food or I don't know what. Because <laughs> um, I'm from the golf course people. I'm thinking about a digression. <laughs> I was in an anti-racism training one time where um, people, the social workers, were trying to teach us um, 
we were at this, uh, you know, hotel ballroom, and they were trying to teach us um, to realize that we didn't know everything. So, you know, we had signed up for this course. So anyway, um, they were saying, you don't know this phrase, and you don't know that phrase, and what does this mean, what does that mean? And um, they said, can you think of any phrases that that might be a mystery to other groups of people? And I, I've been living in South Carolina for a while, and I raised my hand and I said, eat your minimum. And everybody looked blank like y'all are. When you join a country club, you pay a certain amount a month, and you have to go eat your minimum. <laughs> it's the way of my people. I'll tell you about it a little at a time, so it doesn't overwhelm me. Anyway, I just think that if we did that uh, fruit basket turnover thing, that racism would pretty much uh, be gone in a couple of years. As I said, it's kind of overwhelming, and when you have a, a vision of how things could be, when you have a vision of how you want things to be, when you hear the history, uh, when you read the Birmingham jail letter, when you hear the poem about the little girls who were killed that Sunday morning, it weighs so heavily on your heart. And um, Dr. King, in his I Have a Dream speech, talked about how we're going to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. And I think about that speech, I think about hewing out of the mountain this mountain that just sits on your soul when you finally, you know, have a day when you're invited to think about it, if, if you don't have to think about it every day, um, y- you feel the weight of the mountain and it, and it overwhelms you. And I think if you're hewing a stone of hope out of the mountain of despair, that means they're made of the same stuff, right? Um, how are despair and hope made of the same stuff? And I think maybe the thing they have in common is this vision of a, of a better world the way it could be. And sometimes if you have a vision of the world the way it could be, you're lucky because you're a visionary, but other times you're unlucky and cursed because you have this vision of the way it could be, and it's not that way. And so you have despair. Now, you know, in the story of um, Pandora's box in the Greek mythology, she opens the box and all the evils come out, and then she slams the box closed, and there's one evil still in there. Want to know what it is? Hope. So why is hope in the box of evils? Hesiod said it was because hope is empty and no good and it takes away people's industriousness. Nietzsche says hope is the worst of evils for it prolongs the torments of man. Nietzsche always has something uplifting. (laughs) And yes, hoping without action is foolish, um, if action can be taken. Rita Mae Brown, an author, says, never hope more than you work. I like that. If I could work with my hands, I'd cross-stitch it on a thing and put it on my wall, but I, that drives me crazy. <laughs> and so I think that the people who listened to Dr. King's speech and who worked on what he wanted us to work on and continue to work on what he wants us to work on um, are hoping and working. See what I mean? Don't hope more than you work. Just hope and 
and work. And maybe stone is just the right size for hope because maybe the rest of what we work with is, is clarity and reason and facing the elements of our lives and those of others with open eyes. And we just have a little bit of hope, a little stone. And maybe stone is the right material for hope because Dr. King didn't say, out of the mountain of despair, we mine a jewel of hope. He didn't. He said, um, a stone of hope, like it's not something rare and precious. It's just something that you find in the despair, covered up and hidden in there. And, and maybe stone is just the right value for hope because stone is ancient and far more ancient than humanity. And it's everywhere and it's common. And so if you throw away your hope in a fit of despair, which we do, don't tell me you don't, you throw away your hope in a fit of despair, you just pick up some more. It's everywhere. And maybe stone is just the right hardness for hope, too, because hope has to be tough. Evidence against hope piles up. Hope has to be tough. One of my friends at a 12-step meeting said her sponsor handed her a stone and said, here, when you feel like drinking, just put this in your mouth, and when it melts, you can have a drink. <laughs> So we hold on to our hope, we put it in our pocket, we, we rub it in between our fingers. What do you hope for? Hope, and we do what we can to make things better. And the good thing about this place is we get to do it together. Please say together with me the words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. The lone white bird in lofty flight is still with thee. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www. AustinUU.org